Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. My gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Once again, we have a new series of episodes, and this is our second off the bat. Uh, so it's still pretty new, and I'm so excited to have Donna back. Uh, Donna Chemka did our, uh, our episode 36, which we were just saying before the recording feels like a long, long time ago, as we're in the 200s now. Um, but uh, I'm, I've been looking forward to having this conversation we're having today. Um, Donna is the head of school at Ascot International School in Bangkok. Welcome back to the podcast, Donna. Thank you, Jono. And I think the last time we spoke, it was the middle of COVID. So this is very exciting. Schools are back. Yes, absolutely. That was um I, I can't I, I can't decide if COVID now in because we're recording this in August 2023 if it feels like forever ago or yesterday it's like a bit of both. Yes, yes, it was like I was going through my phone deleting images and I found a meme saying um, about when when COVID ends is like saying when I win the lottery and I suddenly thought at the time that was so pertinent yeah. and now it has it's ended and we're yeah. through it physically but are we through? The, the journey emotionally, that's the big question, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think schools, uh, you know, education is one place where you're probably seeing a lot of that play out and how it's affected not only the teachers but particularly young people. Um, let's, um, as we, before we talk about what we're going to be discussing today, just I know you've been on before, but just tell us a little bit about what you do as a head of school and a little bit about Ascot International School. Absolutely. Um, Ascot International is a three-program IB World School. Um, I like to say in the suburbs of Bangkok. We, If you visualise Bangkok and hear the motorbikes and the hustle and bustle that is glorious, we're the complete opposite. We're out in the suburbs. We chased water buffalo off the oval yesterday. Um, we have a school of 500 from two years of age through to 18 years of age. And my role is head of the, the whole school. So um, being a small school, that means that it's a busy role, but a great role. And um, we probably, yeah, we probably have between 100 to 160 staff working in the campus from all over the world. And um, yeah, it's a, today it's a beautiful place to be. The sun is shining and it's not too hot or humid. Beautiful. Well, uh, t 
today we're going to be discussing, and I'm so excited about this series because obviously last time we talked more about you and your journey, but I'm really pumped to have a chat about something that you're in the midst of, that you're really passionate about, and that is what comes out of Tracy Ezard's book, Ferocious Warmth, School Leaders Who Inspire and Transform. Um, so for all those, uh, this is written for educators, but um, I think those outside of education can learn a lot as well. So once again, just right, right from the start, if those uh, for those who are listening and want to make a note of it, Tracy Ezard is the author and the book is Ferocious Warmth. And um, I guess to kick us off as we chat about this, how did you end up, um, tell us a little bit about your journey with Tracy and about coming across this book and, and where you're at with it at the moment, Donna. You know, it's a really, it's a, actually a really interesting story, but I met Tracy many, many years ago as a consultant working in Melbourne. And she, one of her first publications was a book called The Buzz. And it was about getting collaborative teams working together. And as a young leader, I was a curriculum coordinator in a primary school. It was just gold to me because it was simple, it was clear, it was articulate, but it was so useful for me in building teams and getting a group of people together to, to work collectively because, you know, I think there's this misconception out there that collaboration is is just people sitting around a table. Collaboration looks and feels different and in different contexts and different professions, but um, I just love Tracy's work. And then just recently a dear friend of mine, um, Dr Amy Silver, who does a lot of work around emotional development and her book, um, The Loudest Guest, about how fear holds. She connected Tracy and I, um, you know, two educators, two, two women who just are pretty ferocious in our passion for um, growing leaders and growing wonderful schools. Tracy sent me her new book, Ferocious Warmth, and um, it just... It was such a great read, but there were just so many pieces in the book that actually challenged me and challenged my thinking, and I love that. But also, too, um, and, and you mentioned it, Jono, education seems to be one of those industries where um, it lives in its own world and great leaders in education, people per perceive may not be able to transfer into the corporate world and vice versa. But as schools grow and become hubs, leadership is leadership. And I just wanted to share this quote with you that Tracy starts her book with, and it's mm. actually in a um, frame on my desk, and it says, the world needs more leaders with the ferocity to lead transformation and the warmth to inspire and connect people. It needs you. And for me, mm. that was like my aha moment. That was what I had believed about leadership. No matter whether you're leading a corporate organisation and you have 400 KFC restaurants or whether, um, you know, you're, you're leading a multinational or whether you run your own small business, it's that notion that leadership is about growing and transforming those people around you through connection and relationship that I just went, that's it, that's that's what I've been trying to put into words for years. So when a book starts like that, the only way is up, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's such a good start. And uh, what I love about that, 
I had a similar experience with a book uh, recently to what you're describing, which is where you you believe something, and if someone if you tried to articulate it, you probably couldn't, and you don't really you can't really explain it until afterwards. And I came across this book, and I just went as I read it. I loved it so much because it put to words what I had already believed but couldn't really articulate. So it sounds like that was your experience with ferocious warmth. As my daughter would say, oh, you felt seen. And it's true, I did. I actually felt like this person got what was inside my head. Hmm. And there was one, there's one uh, short phrase that really stood out to you that you've mentioned a couple of times as we've been preparing for today yes. from the book. So Absolutely. tell us what that phrase is. And it literally is the title to a paragraph in, in Tracy's book and it, it's entitled, What is Your Extraordinary? And that question ruminated with me because first and foremost, my I was like, what a glorious question. Just to ask people, regardless of the workplace, but to just say, hey, Jono, what's your extraordinary? Because I don't know about you, but I've actually never stopped and thought, what is my extraordinary? You know, mm. I've thought about what I, what I know are my strengths and I've thought about probably more so what I know are my challenges and my areas of growth. But have I ever thought about what makes me extraordinary? And, yeah. and then in turn, to ask that within a work environment. Mm. That that just for me was a real moment where I went, wow, I've never thought about this. <laughs> and I guess my question is, as a head of school, you and I, knowing you a, a little bit, that you uh, you're across a lot of things. You've read a lot of books. I'm always interested in a moment like this. Why do you think that phrase, "What's your extraordinary," has stood out so much for you? like right now when you read it? What is it about this season that you think that means that it's just really captured you? I think it's the vulnerability in that question because what if I say I'm extraordinary at X and those mm. people around me go, are you kidding me? <laughs> I, for me, that is first and foremost from a personal perspective, you know, <laughs> Who, who can you trust to tell, you know, other than my, my husband or my partner or someone very close to me, there is no way I would feel confident or safe enough to say I'm extraordinary at that. Mm. And so I think there's a, that level of vulnerability. Um, but then as a leader, there can be, is it, an, is it a more, is it a level of deeper vulnerability or is it a, a level of fear? But what if there are people around me who are more extraordinary than me? Mm. <laughs> and the reality is there are. And the reality <laughs> is, is just because I'm the head of school does not mean that all the wisdom, the knowledge um, stops at me far from it. But how often do we actually say that? Yeah, I, I think the other thing I love about that phrase is it opens up the possibility that what I'm extraordinary at and what I'm doing in my current position may not, uh, well, they probably won't match completely. And hopefully over time, we're able to uh, round some of our edges, but also grow into positions that really suit us. I, 
I guess for you though, one thing I've seen in education is that it's it is not necessarily the fastest moving industry. And so as as a leader, how do you like when you've got someone on your team and let's say let's take this down the down the line a bit and you've asked this question, culturally people have picked it up and you come across someone whose whose extraordinary and position description really don't match and there's no easy fix. Is that something that you deal with in education uh, and, and uh, in a school? And how well, do you we're navigate talking that? hypotheticals because I'm I'm not at that point. But yeah, mm. absolutely, it is. I think it, it's it's a little. Well, I don't think it's a little bit. I think it directly aligns with that notion of belief and philosophy. And I have worked with teachers who have been in schools that I've been leading that their pedagogical approach or their teaching philosophy doesn't align with that of the school or the the direction in that I am a leader that I am taking um, the school. And for them it's a constant headbutting into a wall. And um, and so I've had to have conversations in that respect about digging into what they believe as educators and helping them find an environment or helping them slowly not buy in but come to see the perspective that we're approaching. So we are an IB school. We are very constructivist in our approach, which means we want the students to drive the learning. We want kids to ask questions and we want kids across the board to get to a point where they can manage their learning, their well-being, their behaviour. So we're not the sort of school where you're going to have 14 rules and a red mark against your name. And we're not the sort of school where regurgitating information is going to make you a great student. But for some teachers, they philosophically feel that that is the best framework. And so... It's about having those conversations with them and going, well, this is where we sit. Where do you sit? Because, as you know, if you're not philosophically aligned, you're constantly going to feel like a square peg in a round hole. Um, and so for me, I think that notion, taking it then further to what you're saying, Jono, is mm. absolutely finding, getting people to identify their extraordinary. And then I think then the next step is how can we, as a, as a community, help you flourish and help you thrive by being extraordinary. And, you know, it's a conversation that we have to start with. Now, um, sometimes for people, and we know this, that eventually they may move on because our journey may not be fast enough for them or whatever, but for me it would be about first and foremost having that conversation and, I'll be completely honest, I've never had it with with a community. I've never said mm. to our staff, you tell me what your extraordinary is. Yeah, I think you wouldn't be alone in that because it's super risky. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's I, I think it's also, it's risky on a number of levels. doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. And I'm excited. My next question is going to be how are you, you know, mm. what's, you know, what's, what are you doing and what have you done so far with this? Because I love how we're parachuting into the middle of the process for you, which is very kind of you to let <laughs> yeah. us in. Um, but I, I think there's so much risk to that and I see leaders balk at it. Um, but I, I do believe the future is going to be uh, particularly um, worldwide. We're seeing an education, a, uh, a teacher shortage and teacher burnout. And I think one of the ways to differentiate your school 
and for any company in any industry to differentiate yourself is to have, um, to, you know, to have that system in place and to have the conversations where you do ask people these questions and they put their hands up and then, uh, and then you move forward and you, and you help them refine what they're doing. But I, I can see, like for me, I think about past roles I've had and I think that is, I, I would have been hesitant to do that because it's, 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 it would feel so risky to actually ask that question knowing that the answers you get, it's, it's not like a, um, a chessboard where you can just move people in, <laughs> into, a, into the position. It's never that simple. And it, it is, you're spot on it, and it's it's not a quick fix. I can't just go, right, there you go. I can give mm. you this, therefore. No, you're spot on. And so one of the things that I've been digging around in, digging around, that's my very simple way of saying researching, mm. um, for about the last year, and we talked about this in the last podcast, is the role trust plays in schools yeah, and trust plays in workplaces. And for me, I feel like, that question of what's your extraordinary has pushed that that research deeper mm. because, um, you know, every single thing, whether it's innovation, whether it's a risk-taking situation, whether it's being vulnerable, whether it's being open, you know, there's so many books talking about that. Every single piece that underpins that is that notion of institutional trust mm. and what we know is that's so hard to achieve. It's not impossible. And, and I, I, I feel like there are many avenues we can take to build that up. But something we, we started the school year. So the school year here at Ascot's been open for two years. And I started the year with that notion of trust and talking to the teachers about trust and that, that all of this comes back to trust in, in me whether I like that or not, trust in the institution and trust that this workplace is a safe space. And so to start the year off, I, I did a little survey with the staff and I said, look, it would be better if you put your name on it, but I'm giving you the option not to put your name on it because you might not be there with your trust. And there was one question and it was, what do you need to feel safe at work? Mm. Um, and about 50% of the staff have done the survey and that's okay and everyone's put their name on it which was enough for me for this starting point mm. but their responses are so diverse and so <laughs> different and some are easy fixes like one person said I just need to know I have a job for next year and I could very yeah. easily write that person and say, you can stay at this school as long as you want to be at this school. Um, that was an easy fix. But yeah. some of the others um, were, were fascinating and were simple but were so diverse. And it came back for me is, and you could almost funnel them under three pillars. Mm. Institutional trust is so much around systems and processes. People need to know that the processes work, that if they put in a request, it's going to get done, If they that they have a desk to work at, all of those pieces that actually are very easy to achieve and maintain. The next part fell into um, what I consider the areas of growth that I know it's just going to take time and consistency about 
being present, knowing expectations, having those sorts of guidelines and, for better use of a word, KPI around the roles. And that's mm. something that as educators we don't often have. How do you assess whether a teacher's great? Is it based on the kids' emotional responses? Is it based on their marks? I personally believe that the greatest indicator of a teacher's success is not the academic highs mm. but the growth in our lowest and most needy students. But that's something that a lot of teachers are yearning for. That's mm. actually a really easy fix through an appraisal system and a framework within the school. But then the final piece was down to that personal life experience, bias for better use of a word, where they've been in situations where trust has been broken and they're not ready. They don't feel safe here as a result of past trauma or experience. Mm. And that's the one that's kind of I'm focusing on, obviously, because there's no, not an easy fix to that in terms of, how do we now shift that? Yeah, and I think um, I love those pillars. That's that's so good. Um, what I what I really enjoyed about those pillars is that the first one, the systems and processes. As you are unpacking that, and, and we're talking about ferocious warmth, I was thinking of how many super relational leaders I know who've stepped into roles in larger a larger context where you. As soon as you lose the ability to have that one-on-one -on -one strong and, and enough time to just have one-on-one -on -one relationship with everyone in a team, I'll see a leader who is amazing in that smaller context because they just use their relational capital. But when they step into a, a larger context, if they're not able to get the systems and processes in place so that they build trust, this person who's so used to having amazing relational trust can actually lose, lose it because of that which is, I think, the ferocious part of the ferocious warmth. Actually, if you if you don't pay attention to that and things aren't happening when people ask them to happen, not because you don't care, but because you just haven't set up that system well enough, then then you lose this trust, uh, which which I've seen happen. And I think that you're spot on there, Jono. And I think for me, and I see this very much internationally, this post-COVID, because a lot of schools had it. And a lot of institutions had it. And then we did this massive about face very quickly and we went online. And now we've come back into school and no one came back in the same way they were. Everyone's been changed and morphed. But here in Thailand, we had three years of online learning. So a lot of processes and systems, we're almost starting again from scratch. And it's those systems that people are seeking for that consistency. And it's so simple. So in Thailand, it's law that employees have 30 sick days a year. I know, don't even do the sums. Um, but it's that's the only leave that's allocated in schools. Now, what then happens is staff call up and say, I'm sick when their mother might be unwell or their child might be unwell or they need to do a visa or there's some other external process that's ensuring they can't be at school, but the only leave they've got is sick leave. So one of the things we did last year is break down those 30 days and allocate titles. So you can have three days personal leave. You don't have to give us a reason for it, but you can take those leaves. Here are the parameters. You've, you've got this much time for recruiting leave. You've got this much time for bereavement leave. You've got this much time for... Now, we didn't change the amount of days they were legally allowed, 
but we gave them names and we enabled people to then be open and honest about why they weren't at work. No one needs to give reasons, but instead of, you know, oh, well, Johnny took sick leave, but actually I saw on Facebook he was at his mother's 80th birthday. That system bred distrust. So it was a really easy mm. fix. And now our documentation is better, our, our processes work properly um, and clearly and are sustainable. But that simple shift brought, brought trust back into the school environment yeah that's that's such a good example and the, uh, that example is great because you didn't change um like you said you weren't you didn't change anything legally like it's mm -hmm. still the legal requirement in thailand 30 days but what you did is you said okay well this is what we have how can we make it clearer for the staff and how can we like what is it that's creating this um you know the sense of mistrust mm -hmm. and how can we get mm -hmm. rid of that with uh, mm -hmm. even though we can't change um, the the laws in terms of around leave to make it work, and I think that's a great. And I think for for listeners, that's a it's a great question to think. Okay, if there's an area where that's breeding any mistrust, how can you like? What's the opportunity in that to relabel things or to bring clarity to an area when you may not have control over where that comes from? And and but also for me, it's also saying you know what we are professionals. We go mm. to work but we're humans and life doesn't confine itself to after hours. And if you need a day because a, your motorbike wheel's blown up and, and these examples are really unique, but in Thailand it takes a lot longer to get stuff done than it does in other countries. Mm. Take the day. Be honest because for you, you're stressed, you've got a problem, you need to fix it. If you come to school or, or are dishonest about why you're taking that time, the only thing person's going to suffer are the kids because you're not yeah. here and you're not present. And so it is also trying to build that culture of taking self-care within a professional context. Mm. That's so good. And then the second was around KPIs and the third mm, absolutely. pillar. Absolutely, yeah. I mean... I chuckle every three or four years it comes up in the Australian government about teacher performance pay and I chuckle because it's like, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you, how, what makes a great teacher? And if I asked mm. any adult, think back into your journey, tell me a teacher mm. whose name is great. The academic achievement would be part of it, mm. but you would never say, oh, the teacher who I got an A in. It's the teacher yeah. who cared about me. It's the teacher who went the extra mile to help me understand. It's, we, we all have different connections. So how then, do you, how then do you put KPIs or appraisal frameworks on teachers? And that's been a significant area that, that we've been mm. digging into here at our school. And I know other schools are doing it too, so it's, it's not like we're, you know, this doing something new and innovative, but we're saying, all right, we want it environment of trust we want teachers to take risks and be innovative mm. what is innovation in education and so in order to do that we've had to go back and look at some sort of framework to at least compare ourselves to now in australia in the in nor in countries that have more regulatory organizations you've got the eight standards you've got british standards Internationally, there is a standard, but 
what we wanted to do is say, all right, how do we create an appraisal framework where we are valuing their extraordinary? Mm. That it's not coming from this deficit, oh, I need to do better in this, but what are you passionate about? What are you excited about? What are you good at? Because it's from strengths that innovation comes. So once again, (laughs) we're still working through it and fine-tuning it, but we've put together a framework around teacher growth um, and it starts with what looking at the, looking at the standards, looking at the expectations of what a teacher should be doing. Where is your extraordinary in that, and how are you going to grow your extraordinary this year? Mm. Yeah, I love those questions. Is that something new that you've just brought in as a yes. result of ferocious warmth? So we we've the framework we've been teasing around for a while. Um, but the language came in as a result of Tracy's. Um, mm. Because at the end of the day, there are things I'm good at. There's things I'm not good at. And I know full well my areas of challenge and the areas I need to work on. But if I'm going to be passionate about my work and I'm going to go to work with a spring in my step every day, it's not about focusing on my deficits. Mm. And so what we we've, we're trialing it, and it may come down. It may come back. We'll talk in a year. Um, it it may fall in a massive heap. Um, but what we're doing at the moment is asking teachers to reflect and just try and identify what is your extraordinary and how can we make you better. Mm. And um, you know, it could be anything linked into the school. So one of our teachers has shared with me that they want to really dig into relationships. They feel that they have good relationships with kids, but is it on their terms or is it on the kids' terms? And so they're, they're doing some research into this wonderful book called Do You Know Me Well Enough to Teach Me? And it's from a student's perspective. And they're going to dig into that and sort of see if um, the, the relationships they have with students is all there all teacher-driven and what the teacher's interested versus what the students, you know, it's teacher-driven, not student-driven. Another teacher is um, looking at well-being and sort of that perspective that comes from positive psychology of, you know, rather than constantly looking at student well-being, what are we doing for teacher well-being? And if we if we want thriving students, are our teachers thriving? Because they've got a real passion for well-being. And... No one knows where the outcomes are going to come. You know, we don't know where these discoveries are going to end up and we're certainly, there's no expectation of a product or a presentation at the end. The whole framework is based around coaching conversations with your immediate um, head of school and working with a collaborative partner and, um, and documenting your journey, how you want to document your journey. So some people may just chat, some people may write, some people may blog or vlog, some people may want to do a presentation, but we're just giving it a go this year and seeing what happens when we just encourage people to pursue their extraordinary. Yeah, I think there's so much potential in what you're doing and the the key 
kind of foundation around uh, th- that I think is comes to mind for me as you're unpacking this is the idea of the difference between quantity of work and quality of work, how it relates to uh, employee engagement and also well-being. So I think for your teachers, this is something I, I've definitely bought into in the past is I've looked at my own well-being in, in the work that I'm doing and those around me, those I'm leading, and I've really looked at quantity and I've been saying, oh, watch out if people are doing too many hours, watch out if I catch myself doing. So I, I, I measured it in this really one-dimensional frame. Um, and I think you do that because you see the extremes. You see someone who is doing purely too much, you know, when it comes to quantity. But I believe I've had a real, uh, I, I, I think there's real shift in my own mindset around this, particularly because of the working genius um assessment that's come out of Patrick Lencioni's The Table Group. I don't know if you've come across, um, yeah, The Working Genius. And what and The Working Genius really challenges this idea because it says uh, all of us have these, there's six geniuses and all of us have two of them that are our geniuses. And 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 the big aha for me from that was saying, you know what, there's, there's, there's some work that we do that is we're in our sweet spot, we're in the flow in terms of the type of work where it sits, is it the really high level kind of, thinking and ideation or is it the execution and and of course this challenged me because I started questioning myself going hang on a second for clarity I'm doing more work than I ever have in other roles and yet I'm more fulfilled less burned out (laughs) like there's actually because I think what I'm doing now is I'm spending so much time it's the quality of the work it's in my sweet spot Whereas in the past, I've, I've, I've measured it one-dimensionally. So the reason I mention all of that is I, I see what you're doing by saying what's your extraordinary and how can we grow you in that is you're, you're really looking at the quality of what they're doing. And I think the opportunity here, you imagine one of your teachers who they might, for that person who it's well-being um, or that person who it's relationships, if they're spending extra quantity of time working in that area, but it's high quality flow kind of work where they are getting it, then then I've started going, well, maybe that's actually going to increase their uh, well-being and actually increase their engagement. And that for me, that really is a, <laughs> is a tension because in the past I've measured things so one-dimensionally, but I think if you can get people and give them opportunities, and initially you may not be able to carve out like you said, you can't just make new job descriptions for people to go and become a an XYZ person in their area of passion. But if they can start dabbling in that and that turns out to be their sweet spot, I think you'll have people who might look back and say, this year I've probably invested even more than I did the year before at this school and yet I'm happier uh, because I'm spending this extra time in something that's, that's such a passion project for me and is in my sweet spot. I hope so, Jono, because one of... You know, I haven't put this out to our community, but deep down what my greatest dream is is a school where people are just taking on leadership. And leadership for me is not a title or an office. It's seeing a need and responding to it and going, you know what, I'm going to start a yoga club at lunchtime because I've been looking at mindfulness and, you know, and people are just literally going into flow and, as you just said, not working harder but investing more into the student learning experience as a result of them digging into their extraordinary. And Mm. 
to have a school where people are just like, that's it, I'm going to start doing X or I'm going to start doing this <laughs> or I'm, I, you know, I need some budget. I want to change the way my classroom furniture is or this and that. And, and I don't have to push change, but people are driving change, then it's worked. And, and we have a school full of really ferociously warm humans. I think that's so much better than the ping pong table for staff, you know, like that's what you're um, describing is the place I want to work. Like I want to be somewhere. And I think everyone does. You want to be somewhere where they say, you know what, we're, we're partnering with you. And it's not just about you investing in the bottom line, which is student outcomes and growing these young people into who they can become, but we're going to invest in you to identify and articulate your extraordinary and grow you in that. And I think that captures you know, when you, I, I use the ping pong table because it's that thing of like, oh, I want to work at that place because they, they've got a ping pong table set up for the staff. And it's like, it's like actually that, who cares about, like, I want to yeah. work somewhere that, um, yeah, I think you're really hitting the nail on the head with, with um, and, and I think it's arguably education is more, nearly more important than any other industry because teachers are looking around and going where, like, I want somewhere that, that will invest in me and if you can if you can do this I, I think it's going to be an amazing uh story and case study of like you said of how you actually get your people to drive change in a pretty like we said like i said earlier a pretty slow moving industry i think it's really exciting i'm excited but i'm also i'm the queen of organization like my husband often says to me if you want something done get me to do it because it'll get done <laughs> yes um, I have to sit on my hands a bit here. The, we've set the framework up, we've put the parameters in place, and now I have to just sit and watch and let people take their journey. And that, for me, is a is a growth point because what if they're not going down the way I want them to? And well, the reality is that defeats the purpose. So um, it's a little bit of um, excitement and a little bit of sitting on my hands and practicing my coaching conversations. <laughs> what have you learned about how to drive innovation um, in a way that people feel, your teachers feel permission to try things and fail? Like, Because I think that's one of the biggest things that holds leaders back. I, I'm going to be completely vulnerable here. I don't think we, I have. I think... We're at the point where teachers are now perhaps not asking for permission. Mm. Probably where we're at. Um, and I would say in a staff of we've got 120 teachers, I've probably got 20 who are not asking for permission and the rest are slow and steady. And so for me at the moment, it's a lot of a lot of face-to-face -face time being present in the community, lots of affirmation of, oh, my gosh, I love what you're doing here. That's phenomenal. Mm. Lots of bucket filling um, and not, not identifying next steps. So I've always been that sort of person who's, I absolutely love how you've got this. Have you considered this? And... <laughs> I, and I'm not going to sit here and say that's right or wrong, but it's I'm now taken off the have you considered this and it's just pure acknowledgement of of effort, of risk-taking, 
of um, of anything. Like I walked into a classroom today and a teacher was setting it up and I was just like, wow, that's amazing. I love what you've done. And her next response was, I'd really like to do X, Y and Z. Is there money to get this furniture? And it's like, absolutely, off you go. And for me, I've, you, know, you know, I'm always learning as a leader and, and for her just to turn around and say, is there money, can we do this? I sort of, I felt like my bucket was filled because she'd already taken the next step. She knew where she wanted to go. And so it's a journey for me too. Yeah, that's, it's, um, it's so good to hear how that culture is shifting because Slowly. I think it is, it is a slow, yeah. And often as a leader, right? Like one of the things that, that leads to the opportunity to, uh, to move up and to have more responsibility in any organization and particularly in education is you're able to execute, you know, you get the results. And so, but when you're trying to drive this cultural change, executing the change means holding back. It's like, it's a real, uh, yeah, it is a real tension to walk. And, and look, it's doable because we are a small environment. I'm not sure, well, I couldn't do this in a school where we've got 1,000 students or 2,000 students because the community is so much bigger. So whilst this is our journey, it's it's working for our context and our size. I'm not necessarily sure. I think the philosophy is right, but I think the implementation might look very different in a different environment. Yeah, and I, I think one of the keys for innovation that... Uh, that you're doing is I, I, in a book I've been reading recently, it's a book called Alchemy by Rory Sullivan, who works for Ogilvy's in the UK. And it's, it's a book about the magic of, um, of advertising and, and kind of um, pushing back on pure economics. It's a fascinating book, but he talks about how so much of scientific innovation, like in science, the most um, structured results, driven you know research and and then you get results but he, he gives all these examples of the biggest innovations in science that came out of accidental um uh trial and like trial and error like it really was not the purpose and and kind of questions this idea of and gives some examples of scientists who are saying actually if we're going to have significant breakthroughs we need to give funding to people who are going to um, dabble and try like it's which be, which is really challenging in that industry but I think it's similar I love what you're doing because you you're growing you might grow experts who actually find their niche and one day fly in terms of out of the school and maybe they'll be like Tracy writing their own books that for educators around that and the way for them to learn that I, I love the idea that they're dabbling you know they're trying they're they're um, they're getting some funding to do something different in their in their classroom, and it's it's within a context that has a purpose. But I think that's what innovation innovation I think often looks much messier than we want it to, and I and so I, I think you have to embrace some of that mess if you want to see that true innovation. Oh, spot on! And it's it's like when you work with young children, and they have oh, there goes my alarm, um, and they have working theories about something, and it's wrong. But letting them work through their learning till they get to the right discovery is where that sweet spot spot happens. That's where learning happens. And that doesn't change whether you're mm. two or whether you're 52. And so we need to give everybody the opportunity to, um, oh, 
you know, what's that, the, the not the, the academic struggle, but the pedagogical struggle where you're in that learning pit and you're trying to make meaning for yourself. Mm, yeah, it's so good. Okay, last thoughts because I've just, I've been so engrossed in this conversation. I'm looking at the time and I've already gone 12 minutes over my goals. So, but it's That's just so, right. it's, it's so good, Donna. You and I um, always talk far too much. We do. I just wanted to make sure we just put a full stop next to that third pillar, which is, I, I think that's a whole episode in itself, which is people's own past experiences where they've had trust broken. Um, anything you just want to say briefly around that third pillar of um, people saying, for me, the challenge is that I've actually had trust broken in the past? That is That has been our big strategic focus. We recognised, we knew that this would be the data we could, we, we expected this to be the biggest piece. The, the feedback mm. we got from the staff didn't surprise us. So we have, at the same time, really invested in um, the work of Martin Seligman and digging into the PERMA model and exploring um, the, the pillars of well-being. Mm. And rather than saying this is our school's well-being program, this is what you're doing for the students, we spend a day of our inset week and we'll spend a whole year digging into what constitutes our own well-being and creating a climate where teachers are, are hopefully have the resources or the connections to, to, to work through whatever it is they need in order to push past, past trauma, for better use of the word. Mm. Yeah, it's... Um... I know I hear that and I just think, wow, there's so much in that. If, if we can do a better job as organisations with helping people um, process some of that as employees, I think it's a gift. I think it's a wonderful gift. Um, you know, that self-awareness is, oh, having that awareness and working through some of that trauma, which everyone has at, at different different levels from from any experience. And some people have extreme um, stories and, and things that they've walked through. That's, yeah, how to do that as an organisation. If, if you can do that, what a gift. But, I mean, even when you consider that no one gets to define how trauma impacts them yeah. and someone can go through an experience that compared to my life might seem minuscule, mm. but based on so many facets, it deeply impacts them. Um, we don't get that luxury of judging. We just have to put the pieces in place and hope that we can support them through it. And I'll be honest with you, that's a part I find very challenging about running a, a school. And I think anybody yeah. working with humans, how do we put those pieces in place to enable our staff to take care of their own physical, social, emotional, mental, all of those elements of wellbeing? Yeah, that's a big question. And um such a good question. Time uh, for another for, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that could be a, that could be our next episode because I, I, it's just that's such a. I think every leader would have just heard that last couple of minutes and lent in to be like, "How do I do this?" Because I, it, it really feels like such a big question for leaders globally right now. Um, and, and I mean, last... even, yep, I'll shut up and let you speak. Edit <laughs> that word, that rude word out. <laughs> Um, final final thoughts on ferocious warmth, um, just as we land the episode, Donna? Oh, I'm going to be honest. Whether you're a teacher or whether you're an educator, I think it's one of the better books I've ever read because it just, for me, if, um, 
got me thinking, but it challenged me. And I'm literally, after this podcast finished, walking into a leadership meeting and handing it to our head of primary because I know she's going to embrace it. It just, you know, a doctor once said to me when I was parenting my kids, you need a spine of steel and a heart of gold and you can't have one in isolation because they don't work in isolation. They only work together. And I feel mm. like for from a leadership perspective, this book is exactly the same. It, it shows you how to have that spine of steel and that heart of gold um, and how to transform. I really, yeah, I can't speak more highly of it. Amazing. Well, uh, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Such a such an engaging episode. I think you could hear how uh, how much we both enjoyed chatting about ferocious warmth and, and getting to hear a bit of Donna's story with what they're doing, which is really exciting. And uh, but I want to say a particularly uh, big thank you to you, Donna, for being so vulnerable to let us let us into the midst of a process. Like we said, that I, I know that that's. Um, that can be challenging, so I appreciate that, but also just love oh, chatting pleasure. with you today. Thank you so much for bye. coming back on the podcast. Thank you, and thank Tracy for her book. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively, and that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.